You're listening to Time in the Word. After the first phase of the future kingdom of God ends, the second phase of the kingdom will begin. Revelation 20 verses 7 through 9 tell us that towards the end of the millennium kingdom, Satan is released from the abyss and is successful in gathering a large number of people who will rebel against Christ. According to verses 9 through 10, the rebellion is short-lived and completely unsuccessful. All those who participate in it are put to death while Satan receives his final judgment in the lake of fire. After Satan's power is finally broken and all people are finally resurrected, all the subjugation necessary has been realized. It is then possible to move into the eternal kingdom. When the millennium kingdom is merged with the eternal kingdom, the eternal sovereignty of God is established. Satan's challenge and disruption of God's purposes will be answered finally and forever. In today's study, Dr. Gonzalez discusses the eternal state and life in the eternal kingdom of God. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez continues his study on end times prophecy. Well, we are at our final stretch. This is the next to the last message or lesson in this uh, 36 or 37 lesson series on Bible prophecy, which we had entitled uh, The Bible and Tomorrow's Headlines. Today, we will be looking at the eternal state. Last three weeks, we considered the Millennium Kingdom, what it was going to be what it was going to look like, what the government would look like, what the, uh, the, the, that thousand-year reign of Christ would be characterized by, uh, and we considered uh, uh, the meaning and purposes for the Millennium Kingdom. Now we want to start looking at the eternal state, what comes after the thousand-year reign of Christ comes to an end, and uh, what that has to do with us today and how we can apply that knowledge to our current life and uh, the living out of our faith and our convictions in in this present world. So again, uh, it is the eternal state that we will be looking at. Well, after the first phase, we said uh, several weeks back that that the 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 kingdom of God would uh, would uh, have two phases. The first phase would be the thousand-year reign of Christ here on earth. Now that we've come to the end of the, uh, the, the uh, thousand year uh, reign of Christ on earth, we enter the second phase of the kingdom. So the second phase of the kingdom will begin now and that is what we refer to or term as the eternal uh, state. Now we know that uh, uh, Satan and, uh, has been in essence uh, locked in uh, the abyss during the millennium reign and we know that Christ has ruled uh, it was a time characterized by prosperity and peace and righteousness uh, and uh, justice uh, but we also know from scripture Revelation chapter 20 Revelation 20 and let's look at that passage Revelation 20 verses 7 through 9 tells us this when the thousand years are over Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Uh, in number they are like the sand on the seashore. They 
marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven uh, and devoured them. So we know from this passage that at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, Satan is released from the abyss and successfully gathers to himself a large number of people who will rebel against Christ. Now, it's interesting to me, and I think, and I'll talk a little bit more about this in, you know, as, as we move forward, but this is a really an object lesson on, 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 on human depravity. Uh, it is evident that although people will seem to have given their allegiance to Christ, superficially in their hearts they have not and it's really no different than it is today many people walk around saying they're good many people walk around saying they're Christians but when you look at their life inspect their life to some extent you will realize that it is not necessarily a a a, a true statement but li what is curious to me is that during the thousand year reign of Christ people who appeared to have given their allegiance to Jesus truly did not and that will be evident in the fact that when Satan is released from the abyss he will gather to himself all those who made false statements of faith to himself to rebel against Christ and we read in this passage in Revelation 20 that the number of these people will be many and these are people who are living on earth while Christ is ruling literally and physically from earth during those thousand uh, uh, years. So their allegiance is outward towards King Jesus. Inwardly they are as depraved as they can be and as soon as they're given the opportunity they will actually take side once again with, once again with Satan and they will rebel uh, one more time against Christ just to be uh, squashed or defeated. Now I do want to make a statement about what I just said because it sort of has something to do with the way things are in the present. We say today that in many cases, and I don't necessarily argue against this position, I think there's a certain degree of truth in this position, but not holy, many people believe that environment and circumstances form us to become the people we become. In other words, if I am a bad person, I can attribute my badness to the fact that I grew up in a society or in an environment that made me that way. And therefore, I am as bad as I can be because that's what I was shaped to be by my environment and my circumstances. I don't argue that circumstances and environment have something to do with part of you. But I disagree in saying that that is everything because that is in my mind nothing more than a justification to what I do or an excuse for the reason that I do the things that I do. And the reason I bring this up is because listen, Though there may be some truth to environment influencing people, at the end of the day, 
we are who we are and we do what we do not because of the evil around us but because of our depraved hearts and this is proof these people who will rebel against Jesus at the end of the thousand year reign lived lived in the best circumstances possible in any generation in human history they lived in a world where King Jesus reigned in a world that was characterized by peace by prosperity by justice by righteousness they lived in in an environment far better than probably just about any other generation or not just about better times whatever you put on there than any other generation in human history yet given the opportunity in spite of the fact that evil was not prevalent during this time they rebelled given the opportunity listen and uh, yeah, what I'm saying is this where you live where you grew up who raised you what the environment and circumstances that's around all of that may have the ability to contribute to the things that we do but we cannot seek to justify that which we do because of those things at the end of the day we end up doing what we do because that is what our heart dictates to us to do we have a depraved sinful nature that even if we grew up and lived in the most perfect of environments it would still given the opportunity rebel against God in a heartbeat and that is evident by the fact that they these people will be living in a time when evil is curtailed and righteousness is 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 prevalent and yet given the opportunity they will rebel and at the end when they do they will be squashed by Christ and they along with Satan will receive their final judgment when they're cast once and forever into the lake of fire now there will be a, apparently a gap of time between the end of the millennium which is what we were talking about up to last week and the beginning of the eternal phase of the kingdom which is what we're talking about this week during this time several events will take place one of which we mentioned in, in, in previously the great white throne judgment all those who rejected Christ will once for all appear before Christ to be cast once for all into the lake of fire and to be cast for their eternal punishment for their rejection of Christ and in addition to that during that gap of time in addition to the great white throne judgment uh, there will be the judging of the old heavens and earth the end of the millennium phase signals the beginning of the eternal kingdom
the place where we as believers will live for for eternity. Now Paul provides some important information about this transition and I'll give you the reference 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 24 through 26. Listen, Satan's power is finally broken and all people are finally resurrected. And all the subjugation necessary has been realized. It's, the, it's then possible to move into the eternal kingdom uh, once the millennium has ended. Now, what is life going to look like in the eternal kingdom of God? Well, the truth of the matter is that the Bible really doesn't give us that much information about the future aspect of the kingdom. However, Revelation does give us some information about the eternal kingdom of God. And I want to look at Revelation chapter 21. And uh, I don't know that I want to read that whole section because it's going to take a little bit of time. But I'll let you look at Revelation chapter Revelation 21, verse 1 through Revelation 22 and verse 5. This passage does give us some information about the eternal kingdom of God. And we'll just mention a few of the things that are mentioned there. First of all, there will be a new heaven, new heavens and a new earth. Now I mentioned this previously so I won't elaborate too much on it. Uh, some within the uh, evangelical community have uh, taken the position that this new heavens and new earth is a renovated heavens and earth that it'll be the same but renovated uh, I believe that the that the that the Greek term used uh, here for the word new better denotes something that is fresh uh, or new in quality uh, I believe that it'll be similar in appearance to that which God created in Genesis 1 and 2 only it will be, uh, it will resemble the old, uh, but it will not be the same as the old. And the only exception that we see in the differences is that it appears that in the new earth there will be no oceans. Uh, it will be the dwelling place of God. It seems uh, that the account of the original creation, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, is a key to understanding the recreation. Uh, now, why does the Bible say that there will be new heavens? Well, we do understand clearly why we uh, may conclude that there will be new earth, but why new heavens? Uh, well, the answer is found in, in, in Genesis chapter 1. That's where we discover that he created the old heavens uh, uh, to provide light to the earth and to mark time on the earth to give us days, months, and years, it appears that Scripture is suggesting that in the eternal state, the new heavens will provide us with very much of the same that they were intended to provide us in Genesis chapter 1. And it appears that even though we live forever and we're speaking of eternity, it appears that in the eternal state, there will be time. It appears that time will exist. For example, we're told that tree, uh, trees will bear fruit each month, signaling specific time uh, uh, space continuum information. Secondly, 
there will be a full, listen, and I don't pretend to understand it, and I won't pretend to be able to communicate to you what this fully means, but there will be full and unhindered fellowship with God. Think about this. However God has touched you in this lifetime, and for those of us who are in a personal relationship with God, we can truly say that we know He exists because our spirit has communed with His spirit, and He has touched us in ways that we cannot even begin to explain. We know experientially that God exists because he has done things in our lives that only we can explain by virtue of a relationship with God. And whatever blessing and joy it has brought to us to be able to commune with God through prayer and fellowship and Bible study, it will pale whatever you have experienced up to this point with God will pale by comparison where you, when you come into a place where fellowship with God will be completely unhindered. In the eternal kingdom, there will be absolutely no hindrances to your fellowship and worship of God. And in fact, God will dwell in the very place where you will dwell for in eternity. And I can't begin to imagine what that looks like or what that will feel like or how uh, any of it. And I don't pretend to stand here and, and, be, and tell you that I know how to explain that to you. All I'm saying to you is that whatever you have experienced from God and of God up to this point pales by comparison to the way it will be between you and God in the eternal state when you are in His presence and He's in your presence and there's nothing to hinder your fellowship and communion and worship of God. The quality of worship will be so radically different from anything that we know today that, that we just can't simply explain it in human terms. It appears that there is no temple in the New Jerusalem or in the earth. And not that we will, we will really need one since God will dwell in our midst. So what we can look forward to in the eternal state in terms of our fellowship with God is something that we can only begin to imagine because we have never really truly experienced. Another thing is there will be elements missing from our experience and that is a wonderful thing. There are things that you and I experience today as Christians and as human beings that will be missing from our experience in the eternal state, and that is a good thing. Let me give you a few examples. Not only did sin bring separation between us and God, but it also affected our minds and our emotions in our physical bodies. It brought sickness and pain and death and sorrow. We, experience, we experienced things in this world, in our life, that we will no longer experience there because of the state that we are now living in. Think about this. 
in the eternal state, when we are in the presence of God forever, in a place where He dwells with us and we experience Him personally in our presence, there will be no longer death, there will be no longer sickness, there will be no longer pain, there will be no longer sorrow. In the eternal state, there will be elements of our current experience that we will no longer experience. They will be missing from our experience. And those are wonderful things because those are the very things that we have wanted to have missing from our experience even today. And lastly, there will be a beautiful city in the eternal state called the New Jerusalem. Now, Scripture says that after the new heavens and earth, John says that the beautiful holy city, the new Jerusalem, will descend from heaven to earth. And it's not only beautiful like a bride adorned for her husband, but it is said to have gates of pearl, buildings of pure gold, and foundation stones of precious gems. In it dwell the Lord and His people. This beautiful city will be the significant place, a significant place for life and worship during the eternal kingdom. Now I want to, before I close this message, I want to look at a couple things, and this is all in Revelation chapter 22. First of all, what should our focus be in light of these truths that we just saw? Well, Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to, uh, to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words uh, of this book. Worship God. Listen, what should our focus be as Christians? Our focus should be on God, and our focus should be on worshiping God. Nothing that God has created, but rather on God Himself. That should be our focus. What should our mission be? Let's look at verse 17. It says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. What should the church's mission be? It should be to bring the water of life, the bread of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who would be willing to acknowledge and accept it. And remember and never forget his promise found in verse 20 where it says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. And may indeed the Lord Jesus come soon. May indeed he come to take us home to be with him forever where we can experience unhindered fellowship with him. Let's never lose our focus, and our focus ought to be to worship the living and true God. Our mission ought to be to take the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus into all the world and make disciples, and we must never forget his promise. He has said, yes, I 
am coming soon. We've come to the end of this particular program. We will close in prayer. Next week, we will close our entire series by looking at the last chapter of this series entitled The Intermediate State.